one of these Sundays, we're going <clears> to, <throat> we're just going to keep going with the worship. I'm giving you, I'm giving you a heads up on that. And um, because the preacher or any, any preaching is going to get in the way. And, um, you know, we, we, we know that heaven is a place where preachers are out of work. But praisers have a full-time occupation and opportunity. And, um, and I, look, I really do look forward to that. My, I, I've, I've, my assignment, and I'm grateful for the assignment, for the opportunity to open the Word of God and to, to, to proclaim, to publicly proclaim the Word of the Lord. But I can tell you my favorite part about Sunday is being able to worship with you the living Jesus, and to know that, that there are times when, when we're just lifting up his praises and glorifying his name and honoring him, it just really does seem like he just moves in among us, and we're singing right along with the angels, and they're, they're still singing the same song. I don't know how many verses, but it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. The Lord loves to hear the praises of his people. So don't you let anybody else do your praising for you, you know. This isn't just a lady thing. This isn't just a kid's thing. This isn't just somebody who can carry a tune in a bucket thing. This is for the redeemed of the Lord to say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Amen. There are times, really, I'm sitting down there and I don't want to get up. I, I don't, um, but, but I, I, um, I need to, I need to this morning. I want you to find your way in your copy of the scripture to the gospel of John, John chapter 8, John chapter 8. Now, Dave, wave at me if there's any point in time when I can put this thing down, okay? You can't? You got to keep doing this? All right. All right. <clears throat> Here's where we're headed. When the pain of rejection meets the kindness of Jesus. When the pain of rejection meets the kindness of Jesus. Now, rejection can happen when somebody you care about hollers at you. Hollers things at you that, that you wish they wouldn't even think, let alone say. And you feel the weight, the pain, you feel the pain of their rejection. It may be that rejection has come to you in the form of a letter, a legal document. And it comes from an entity or a source that you really did want to accept you. But there it is in black and white, a rejection letter. You're rejected. It, it may not be a letter. It may not be somebody hollering at you. It, it may just be that, that somebody just seems to distance themselves from you. They just step back and away and they don't pursue you anymore. You don't hear from them anymore. You are left with the sense 
that they no longer accept you. I tried to point out a couple Sundays ago that if there is any one emotion, if there is any one human emotion that Jesus understands, it's the emotion of rejection. John will say that he came to his own, to his own people. He came to his own, and his own received him not. When you are left alone at a place where you're feeling worthless, where you're feeling not wanted, where you're feeling the weight of humiliation as a result of rejection, then would you please let this in? Jesus, the Scripture says, has been tested, has been tempted in all points, just like we are tested and tempted. Yet he made it through that season, the Scripture says, without sin, without missing the mark of God, the standard of God, without believing lies from the enemy. We may come back to this in the Sundays to come, but I do believe that it is true that there is such a thing as a spirit of rejection. The Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. The Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, the fear of rejection. But you can be so afraid of being rejected that you won't walk from the batter's box to where you can take a swing at a pitch again. You can be so afraid of not being accepted that you won't even try. That relationship, I'm not even going to attempt a relationship because I will probably be rejected. It's a very powerful thing, and it's, it's a very disabling thing. Rejection can paralyze you. Rejection can shut you down from opportunities that may be your destiny. And the enemy wants to be effective in his attacks at us. And if he knows that just the fear of rejection can keep you from stepping up and stepping out, then, then watch him try that. Rejection can take you to humiliation. And humiliation can take you the place to the place of self-destruction. Get rejected, therefore I feel humiliated, and because I am so humiliated, I can choose some things that will enable me to somehow just exist, but it's destroying my life. Now, with, with that as something of a backdrop, I want you to look at me with, look at me Look with me, excuse me, look with me at this story of Jesus 
and this woman. John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, not far from the city of Jerusalem, actually in the environs of the city, but just outside the wall. Went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning, he came again into the temple from the Mount of Olives back into the city, into the temple. And all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them in the temple. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And I just want to insert this. The word for write there, the verb to write, literally means to write things, to write letters, to write words, to write sentences, to write numerals, numbers. It means to write, not just to doodle, not just to scribble, not just to draw pictures. It it means to write something. Now, with, with that in mind, I need to read you the rest, the rest of the verse that the scribes and the Pharisees were quoting, saying what Moses said. Moses said, This woman needs to be stoned because she's been caught. Well, here's the verse. Here's the rest of the verse. Jesus might have been writing the rest of the verse on the ground. Leviticus 20, verse 10. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, The adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. You got to watch people who come at you with the Bible. They may come at you with the parts of the Bible that they agree with and omit the parts of the Bible that they don't want to face up to. It wasn't just saying that the woman caught in adultery should be put to death. The man caught in adultery, if you're going to bring the law into it, was to be stoned as well. Where was he? Well, there's a whole line of speculation there. He he may be, he may have been one of them. How, How did they know where she was? How did they know when she was there? Was she the wife of one of them? Was she the daughter of one of them who had spurned her father's religious garments? Don't know that answer. But they're quoting the law 
And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. Now the next two words, anywhere you find these two words, any place in the life of Jesus, anywhere Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there was a recording of the life of Jesus, and you find these two words, perk up. Here are the two words. But Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus. Here come the religious police. Here come the Bible-quoting, teetotaling religious people. Here come the church folks, if you don't mind me leaning into that just a little bit, who have forgotten what we came from, who have forgotten what the Lord got when he got us, which wasn't much, but Jesus, but Jesus. They were quoting scripture. They were in the temple. They had caught somebody red-handed but Jesus. Now, what they missed was the law that they were quoting was written by the one in whose presence they now stood. But they didn't see him. They didn't recognize him. They saw him, but they didn't know who he was. But Jesus. But Jesus. But Jesus. He will not buckle to false interpretations of Scripture. He will not buckle to a contemporary cultural image of what is right or wrong. But Jesus, but Jesus, he's not afraid to be different. He's not afraid to step up and step out. But Jesus, I'm so grateful that there have been some but Jesus moments in my life. How about you? When it seemed as if there were accusations and people had written you off and there was going to be no sense of a future and a hope for you, but Jesus, amen, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus. It's interesting who he's having to stand up to and who he's having to get down alongside of. He's having to stand up to the religious crowd. He's having to stand up to the Bible quoters. Now, again, I'm not, we're reading from the Bible. We're not minimizing the accuracy of the Scripture. Jesus will not minimize or negate the law that the woman had violated. But in the midst of all of that, that's where we're going. Don't, don't, let, me, don't, let, don't, let, me, don't let me mess this up. I, I want you to just, let's walk in it, get back to the text, preacher. Get back to the text. But Jesus stooped, stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, looked them in the eye, said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? 
And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. When the pain of rejection meets the kindness of Jesus. I want you to hold your place there with a need for you to turn to your right in the Scripture, several pages, several books, to a little letter that Paul wrote to a pastor named Titus. The book is called Titus. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. It gives the understanding, helps us with the bigger picture as to why Jesus didn't immediately side with the Pharisees and the experts in the law who believed they had caught someone red-handed. They didn't care a thing about her. She was just there as evidence to help prove their case and to test Jesus. But the way that he responded was striking. They thought, they thought they'd caught him. We'll just see how true to the Bible he really is. We'll just see how true to the Word he really is. Realizing whether they realized or not, certainly Jesus clearly understood they were picking and choosing what parts of the Bible they wanted to emphasize for the purpose of their encounter with Jesus. Titus 3 verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. But when the kindness of God our Savior, who, who is God our Savior referring to? It's Jesus. But when the kindness of God our Savior and when His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. I didn't find the Lord and you didn't find the Lord. He found us. But here's the important part. Here's the important part. When the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, what kind of state was mankind in? For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. What kind of state was the world in when Jesus came? This is the point. And we can miss it, folks. We can have the attitude that God is up in heaven and He's so mad at sin on this earth that He could just spit. 
He's just so ticked off at what's wrong down here and the people who are doing what they're doing that, that all there is that motivates him is rage and vindication and a sense of righteousness. He, he, he is offended by the sins of the earth. He knows who's doing what. He knows how long that's been going on. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. The primary motivation that sent Jesus from heaven to earth was not indignation, was not rage. It was kindness. It was kindness to an unrepentant world. Nobody had believed in Jesus. Nobody had repented of nothing, excuse my English. There were no churches built. Nobody had been baptized in the name of Jesus. Nobody had said, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. None of that had happened. None of that had happened since the beginning of time, since the fall of Adam and Eve and all of the ones who had come later. There would be some who would look in faith as Abraham would, trusting for the Savior who would come. There would be the system of sacrifices that would prophesy the coming of Jesus. But the vast reaches of the inhabited earth didn't even know the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Still, and I want you to hear that. I don't, know, I don't know what's going on in your life or who's been saying what to you or what's going on in the lives of those close to you that you care about and you feel like they're wrecking their lives and you're wondering, what should my position be on it? Here's your position. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. It was the kindness of Jesus Christ encountering the pain of this woman's rejection that is the marked, outstanding aspect of this. She was guilty. Nobody was debating her guilt. She wasn't. The crowd wouldn't. They may never have seen her, but the ones who caught but in the face of that being caught, in the face of being guilty, the kindness of Jesus. Now, I need to take apart some of these words. Help us with some understanding of a few of these words in Titus chapter 3, verse 4. If you want to write any of this down, you feel free to do it. But I hope you'll remember it even if, you, even if you're not able to write it down. But when the kindness, here's the meaning of that word kindness. It is a grace that pervades the whole nature of a person, mellowing all that would have been harsh and austere. The grace or the attitude that pervades the whole nature. The dominant aspect of the nature of God our Savior is what is described here in Paul's words, given to him by the Spirit, is kindness. Not meanness, not madness, not shortness of temper, not with a, with, with, a, with a bone to pick, not with a, um, an attitude that he's conveyed. What is the attitude that he would convey? And it's why people were so drawn to him. It was his kindness. His kindness. It says his love for mankind. His, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind. That is, that's the word that we get the word philanthropy from. Philos, love of, anthropos, man. Love of or friend of man. 
when, the, when his desire for friendship with people. I just, I just want to, I just sometimes want to, want to, want to take a hold of some some church going people that just are so narrow in the view and just so so needle nose in your perspective of what's got to be done this way and it's got to be done that way and how God could love anybody that's outside of these parameters. I just want to grab you by the whoever you may be, surely no one in this room is this way, but just grab you by the shoulder, just look right at your face. Here, here is what this, what the Word of God is saying, that Jesus came to be a friend of men and women. He came to establish, to cultivate, and to secure long-term a friendship with people. You say, well, I get that. Those were all church people. There was no church. Nobody had accepted Jesus yet. Nobody had repented again of nothing. They were as the world would always, had always been and will continue to be without Christ. Into itself, Profane, vulgar, cruel. And Jesus came for the express purpose of developing a friendship with mankind. Now, here are some more meanings of that particular, a fondness of mankind, a courtesy toward mankind, a friendly, considerate demeanor, a readiness to help, a cherishing of fellowship, that's what that word means when it says that he had a fondness for mankind, that he had a love for mankind. It was not out of his character to be found in this situation. One more time, it just happens to be a woman who had been caught in that predicament. But he would regularly be found with the ones that were considered the worst of the worst, the, 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 the tax collectors and, and the sinners as they would be lumped together. But the amazing thing about it is he didn't just stand up in a crowd and speak to them as if he wouldn't touch them. He didn't want to be around them. He looked up in a tree and there was a little short guy named Zacchaeus who was one of the chief tax collectors. I mean, he had a bunch of other ones under him. <laughs> Streets of Jericho, Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come on down out of that tree because I'm going to your house for supper tonight. He would go and he would spend the whole blooming evening in the tax gatherer's house. He wasn't there to lecture on the law of Moses. He wasn't there to tell Zacchaeus how wrong he was and how many people he'd stolen from he was there for the purpose of establishing a friendship with that one who was the lowest of the low. Liar, cheat, traitor to the Jewish people, many of them thought. And here Jesus, the friend of sinners, proves it by saying, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm going to your house tonight. One of those tax gatherers named Levi, also known as Matthew, became one of his closest and most trusted followers, one of the 12. The Gospel of Matthew, written by a tax gatherer. Folks, if we don't get anything out of this, not only that Jesus came for the purpose of establishing a friendship, a cordial relationship with folks who didn't know him, 
who would have turned their backs on him, who were godless, who were profane, who were everything that a person can be apart from Christ. Jesus came out of heaven to establish a friendship for the purpose of winning that one, of drawing that one unto himself, to the hope that is in Christ. He wasn't going to do it from a condemning standpoint, preaching down. The ones he got the most after were these religious police that were using the scripture to suit their own purposes. They're willing to accuse everybody else, but they won't look inside themselves. Jesus called them out. But who he didn't call out was the woman who was caught. And with a sense of grace, with a sense of cordiality, if you will, with a deep sense of compassion, when the religious police left, rocks in hand, that they had come to pass sentence on, they had already had their trial by jury. They had, they had brought up the charges. They had, they had let the jury vote. And the condemnation is the last part of a legal process. It's the actual passing of the sentence. Did no one condemn you? Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. Did no one, did no one pass sentence on you based upon what they believed the charges were? And she said, no one, Lord. And then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Not that, not that he's negating the charges against her. She was guilty. But here's the glorious news. Jesus would take that woman's sin that he never committed and he would receive the condemnation for her sins in her place so that she could get her life back, so that she could go on with a future and a hope. She didn't have to be condemned because he would in days to come be condemned for her. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Yeah. So he knew, speaking prophetically, he was speaking with hope. Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Here's what the rejectors will do. Even if they have a measure of being justified in their rejection, as these did, a measure of it. But the rejectors have a way of wanting to convince you. And Satan comes in in all capital letters with all the power of his breath to make it seem real. That's all you're ever going to be. That's all you're ever going to be is and fill in your sin. You're just one of those. You'll never be any different. That's how you're wired. That's where you're going to go. But Jesus, but Jesus, I'm telling you, I'm looking into the faces of a few hundred folks this morning and many of you want to stand up and not just on the floor but in the pew and say, that's my story, Pastor. That's my story. Written off, guilty, written off. Condemnation was at the door. But Jesus, some way, somehow, he let me know his kindness in the face of all the meanness that was going on around me. I didn't need anybody to tell me that I was guilty. I knew I was guilty. My problem was I couldn't get away from what I was doing. I couldn't quit it. I didn't know how to break free. And Jesus speaks to her. I don't condemn you. The whole world hasn't condemned you. 
There's those in the, in the group of the world, they have, but I don't condemn you. I don't believe what you have done is worthy of death. It's something that you ought not to go back to. Don't go back to the law of the harvest is still true. What you sow, you're going to reap. So you go back to sowing those kind of seeds and you're going to keep reaping this kind of harvest. You're better than that. You're more than that. Go on with your life. He's saying, you stop here. You let this be the beginning of a brand new day for you. Well, you're not going back to that old junk. You're not going back to that old way. You're done with that. And that is not going to define your life anymore. You are not a prostitute. You are not a cheap piece of flesh. You are a picked out, chosen, wanted, blood-bought daughter of the Most High God. I accept you. To let that in, folks. You have to let that in. Caught, guilty, deserving of condemnation. But Jesus. He knocks on the door of your heart, and it's not a, it's not a mean sound. It's not a sense of, of wanting to just destroy you. It's a gentle enough knock on the door of your heart that the doorknob's on the inside and you're the one who has to open it. Because he cares about you. Because he loves you. I tell you, when, two, when Titus 3, 4, and 5 drops 18 inches, you genuinely can begin to say to people, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter the lifestyle, no matter the consequences, no matter what they're having to live through, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That old four spiritual law, law number one. But if we think God is already ticked, if we think God is so mad that he's just waiting to destroy, you can't say that to people. You won't believe that about yourself. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. He saved us. He rescued us. He delivered us. He lifted us up and out. He broke the power of sin and Satan upon us. He saved us. How? How did He do it? Paul will go on to elaborate further on the meaning of what it is that Jesus did. He saved us not on the basis of things that we've done trying to do right. And that's where it's just, it's just an empty, hollow pursuit. If I can just give more money, give more money to the poor, give more money to the church, if I, if I can just stop doing what I was doing and just start, start doing a bunch of right stuff, then, then, then that'll, God can have mercy upon me. There's never going to be enough. We'll never be able to do enough in the future to undo what we've already done in the past that's wrong. We're hopeless. We're helpless. But Jesus, the things that we can't undo in our past, he has determined that he would take those sins, those things, that guilt, that shame in his body when he went to die on the cross. He took the condemnation. He received the condemnation. 
He received the full measure of the accusation and the trial and the punishment phase. He received the punishment phase in himself for your sin, for my sin. And on the basis of that, he rescues us. So that I don't have to live the rest of my days afraid of something catching up with me or something catching up with you. There may be some law of the harvest that will come in, find its way in, but as far as guilt before God and rejection from the heart of heaven, there's no issue there because Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has taken my condemnation. Now, folks, listen. That's the only way you get from Bear County to heaven. Not by joining a, a church, Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, or just being a good person. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only way to make it from, from, from Bear County, wherever we are on this earth, to get to heaven. If it were not true, if Jesus Christ's death is not the only way for sins to be forgiven, then the death of the only innocent man who has ever lived was a tragic waste. The cross singularizes focuses the only way, but hallelujah, it's plenty enough of a good way to have our sins forgiven and the access to the throne room of heaven so that our prayers are heard. We don't have to go to a priest this way. You are a priest. You are a priestess in Jesus Christ. You don't have to have a priest. You are a priest. So, well, I don't find that in the Bible. We have two or three different places. It says he, he saved us in order that we might be a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. He is our high priest. We look to Jesus. We go straight to him. We make our petitions to him, and our prayers are heard. Hallelujah. And, 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 the, and then the point B, well, well, isn't there just some category of super saints who end up being called priests? We say that because sometimes we like to think that we can pass off the standard of behavior on somebody else. They're a priest, but I'm kind of down here, way down the food chain here. I can just kind of live like I, well, we can end up living that way, but then you can realize who you're destined to be, who the Lord called you out to be, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He calls us higher. He enables us by His Spirit to be able to live in a higher fashion, to live in a higher way, to live in a way that is above the domination of sin that used to destroy us and keep us down by the power of His Spirit. Well, let me get back to this. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy He saved us. But according to His mercy He saved us. He's looking at that woman. She's caught. She's been accused, and it's time to pass sentence. And instead of the, a rage of indignation rising up in Jesus, here's what rises up in Jesus. Mercy. Mercy. You can put in the place of mercy God's pitying love. God's pitying love that is dispatched for the purpose of undoing, of releasing us from the consequences of our sins, the things that sin results in in our lives, the mercy of God, the mercy of God has the way of 
has the power to set us free from. He looked at her through eyes of mercy. Now look, the mercy of God is consistent with everything else in the whole plan and program of God because Jesus would come to pay with his life for the sins of the world. He has a right both to speak of the righteousness of God and the mercy of God. I'm not bypassing, Jesus was, I'm not bypassing the righteousness of God. You, you break the law and you pay. The wages of sin is death. But here's the truth about Jesus. He went to the cross to pay with his own life, to pay the penalty of death in his life so that you wouldn't have to and I wouldn't have to. So that we could then hear the rest of the story, the mercy of God. The mercy of God, that he loves you. He wants to rescue you from the place where you've been, where sin has entrapped you. And his mercy will demonstrate itself in the power to bring to an end, to bring to a close, to shorten the effects of sin in our life. We, we don't know what this woman became. We don't know if, if she, from that point on, was a part of the ones who would minister to Jesus, take care of him, and those who would follow him. If she was there at the time of his death on the cross. We, we don't know that. We don't have to know that. But what we do need to know, and the reason it's recorded in John's gospel, is that we needed to know that when somebody gets caught red-handed, guilty, before God and in a sense before the culture. That does not mean that it's the end of that person's life. It does not mean that that sin defines the person's life. There is a future and there is a hope and there is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. The mercy of God. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. His desire for a friendship with mankind. His heart of courtesy toward mankind. His, his, his desire to be in relationship with, even though there had been no repentance. Folks, that's the way it was then when he came. That's the way it continues today in our day, in our generation, in our lives. It's why you have permission not just to hang out with Christians. Why did it get so quiet when I said that? <laughs> that, 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 that if Jesus said, as, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So how did Jesus, when he engaged people, how did he react to them? It was with courtesy. It was with respect. It was with a desire for a friendship. He was the holiest man to ever walk the face of the earth. This woman could in some ways be described as one of the, the most difficult women, most, most soiled women on the face of the earth. But instead of there being some crazy explosion and Jesus venting his rage and lecturing her, putting her down lower, he takes her side. Not not saying that what she did was right, but out of the compassion that was in his heart, reaching out to her as a person. I don't condemn you. 
you go your way. And you sin no more. She understood exactly what it was. She was there because of sin. She, she had broken the law of God. She had sown that seed and the harvest had come back in. But he's saying to her, that sin that got you in this place, doing what you were doing, that caught up with you and has brought you to this place of humiliation, stop it. Stop it. Don't let that define you any longer. You're beyond that. You're more beautiful than that. You're bigger than that. You're capable of more than that. Don't let the rejection of ones who brought you to this place continue to own your heart. You listen to what I say about you. I don't condemn you. There's forgiveness from me to you. You get up and go on with the rest of your life, and it's a new life. It's a better life. It's a freer life. Go your way. Sin no more. Now, there's a warning in this. There's a warning. As much as there is great compassion and great kindness, the law of the harvest is real, folks. You, you don't stick a tomato seed in the ground and grow a banana plant. You stick a tomato seed in the ground and you're going to get a tomato vine. No rocket science. That's just the way it is. And Paul will say, God is not mocked. You're not going to mock God. You're not gonna, you're not gonna, he's not going to change the rules on this. Whatever a man, a woman, whatever a person sows, that and that only is what the person is going to reap. So there's a warning. Stop sowing things that are going to pay off with a bad harvest. You say, well, I got away with it. No, you didn't. You're not dead yet. You're not dead yet. None of us in this room, I don't think, are dead yet. So the seeds that we sow in time, Come in. The only thing more powerful than the law of the harvest is the kindness and mercy of God. The Lord has a way of diminishing the results of a harvest. It won't take necessarily away all of the implications, but that's what His mercy is about. The pitying love of God to be poured out on one who genuinely is seeking relief from the misery caused by sin. And he's able to do it. That cry of Bartimaeus on the streets of Jericho, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and had mercy on him and his eyes were opened and he got his life back and he went on. He went on to live a free life. I want you to know that this, this verse is in your Bible and how central it is to understanding the things that Jesus did and how central on the basis of that it should be for how we as church people, we as the Lord's people, do what we do. Which way are we in this matter 
with a woman caught or a man caught or a child or whatever, a person caught? Are we the law quoters? Are we the ones that are first quick to pick out the scripture, this is what you did and this is how you're going to pay? Or are we somewhere as something is brought to us saying, Lord Jesus, what would you do? What did you do? Better yet, Lord, help me to see how what you did for me ties in to what's going on in this one's life. Would you let me replicate, duplicate, extend to this one an accurate response of how you had mercy on me? Instead of just feeling so vindicated that we caught somebody and we called them out and we nailed them down and we humiliated them. Where is Jesus in that attitude? You say, well, you just don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she did. You know what? Try that on this passage. Try that on Zacchaeus. Try that on Levi. Try that on all the ones who were connected with them. Folks, we've got permission to love people because God truly does love them. That he, he looks down at all of us and he could be driven by a righteous kind of indignation. But that's not what your Bible says. That God isn't just motivated to destroy. He sent Jesus for the purpose of rescuing and healing and saving and restoring and encouraging a future and a hope mentality in that life of the one who has been called. When the pain of rejection meets the kindness of Jesus. See yourself not necessarily as one who has been caught in that kind of sin, but see yourself as one who has been and is being perhaps rejected. Rejected. And the coldness of that, the cruelty even of that, the shame that can be felt from that, the aching for it to be different, you take that. You take that that you feel, that's reality to you. And in that sense, we are like the woman who was caught. Not guilty of that kind of sin, but realizing that there is rejection that's just cloaking my life. Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Come to this passage, but when the kindness of God our Savior. Lord, I don't feel any kindness. All I feel is meanness. All I feel is distance. All I feel is a sense of just cruelty. Lord, I need you to help me to feel and to own your kindness toward me. Show me your kindness, Lord. Show me that you desire a friendship with me because it seems like these don't want to even be seen with me. It's so amazing that Jesus stayed there with the woman. They all left. The crowd gathered around was still there. But those are poignant words. He he was left in the midst, alone, 
with the woman. He was not ashamed to be identified with her. His words were not to lecture her, to rebuke her. Where are the ones who condemned you, would condemn you? Where are they? They're not here. Well, why weren't they there? Because he called them out and he stood them down. Lord, I'm going to tell you, Jesus has the ability to rescue, to deliver, to identify himself with you even when you're guilty. To come to the place of speaking it in a way that the accusers aren't ready to receive. But wait a minute, this is, this is a child of God. This is not the end of the story with this one. You give the Lord Jesus time to represent you, to stand with you, to show his mercy upon you. That, that was the thing that had to be so striking. Why would this Jesus have mercy on her? Why would he have mercy? Why would he be kind to her? Doesn't he know how big these verses in the Bible really are? He wasn't going to negate the verses in the Bible. But he cared about her. And he cares about you. He cares about you. He cares about you. Lord, I don't know where you want to take this today. There's some obvious points and places that would apply. But Lord, I just, there's, there's a woman, there's a man so close to the story that's listening. Lord, I pray you will speak your compassion to their hearts. It is the goodness and the kindness of the Lord, as you've said, that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Lord, whatever that needs to look like, however that needs to be demonstrated so that we can hear it and get it and receive it, we ask you to do that, Lord. Thank you that it's so clear in the Scripture that that which caused you to leave heaven was not your anger at the sin of the world, but it was your love for this world. It was the kindness in your heart toward this world that caused your Lord Jesus to leave heaven and come to this place. Lord, would you enable us by the power of your Spirit as followers of Jesus, will you enable us by the power of your Spirit to represent that message to this world that we live in? Instead of just carrying placards and just listing rules that are going to be broken or have been broken and all of the things that could anger the heart of a holy God, Lord, would you, would you just help us to get it? That for most of us, if not all of us, it was that kind of language about God trying to rep that, that caused us when we didn't know you to keep running from you because we thought there was no hope for us. It wasn't until some way, somehow, the kindness of God toward me, the kindness of God toward us began to soften our hearts and win our hearts. How we can say with great joy in our hearts, friendship 
with Jesus. Friendship with Jesus is a delight beyond words of our new life. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us to understand this, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.